Welcome to episode seven of the Analytically Speaking podcast series. This episode will discuss the application of Raman and fluorescent spectroscopy for the identification and analysis of biological fluid stains used for forensic analysis. I'm Jerry Workman, the Senior Technical Editor of Spectroscopy and your podcast host. Thanks to our listeners for joining us for a deeper look into all things measured with light. Spectroscopy is the study of the interaction of electromagnetic radiation, commonly referred to as light, with matter. In this episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Professor Igor K. Lednev, who is a distinguished professor of chemistry at the University at Albany State University of New York. His research is focused on the development of novel laser spectroscopy for forensic purposes and medical diagnostics. He is a co-founder of the startup company Supametric. Lednev is on the editorial boards of the Journal of Raman Spectroscopy, Forensic Chemistry, and Spectroscopy Magazine. He has served as an advisory member on the White House Subcommittee for Forensic Science. Lednev is a fellow of the Society for Applied Spectroscopy and the Royal Society of Chemistry. He has received several prestigious awards, including the Charles Mann Award for Applied Spectroscopy. Igor, thank you for joining us today. Oh, oh Jerry, thank you for having me. Well, Igor, for some years you have been performing research for the development of on-field, non-destructive, confirmatory methods for body fluid identification at a crime scene. How did you come to have an interest in this field? This is an interesting question. Uh, uh, when I started my career at uh, University of Albany, uh, I was an analytical uh, chemistry professor with main focus on uh, uh, development of new methods for disease diagnostics. Uh, and uh, for fundamental research, I used Raman spectroscopy for uh, uh, understanding uh, the formation and uh, uh, stability of amyloid fibrils, which are related to neurodegenerative diseases. So I was quite far from uh, uh, forensic field. Uh, however, our department uh, started a new, uh, uh, a new forensic program for uh, both bachelor and master uh, levels and we needed research. So chair of the department uh, uh, requested that uh, I should uh, start doing forensics. So uh, first thing to do, I went to uh, annual uh, conference of uh, the National Institute of Justice and I made a stunning discovery for myself. Uh, I see that there is unlimited opportunities in forensic science for modern analytical uh, uh, chemistry. And uh, uh, first project uh, which uh, we decided to work on was uh, uh, identification of body fluid traces. Uh, and uh, since then, I just uh, uh, love this uh, uh, field uh, because this opens a lot of uh, opportunities uh, for applied uh, uh, science and to some extent uh, it gives a unique opportunity for uh, a researcher, for scientists to give back to society because I, I hope that uh, uh, someday uh, methods which we are using uh, will be used uh, in field. Well, you've certainly uh, contributed a lot to this forensic analysis. And then can you tell us a little about your research history, specifically in exploring Raman inflorescence, you know, for analysis of biological materials in forensics? Is it why Raman inflorescence? Well, uh, first of all, this concerns history. Uh, we started from uh, a very simple uh, uh, experiments, uh, uh, which were based on a uh, quite straightforward hypothesis. Uh, all uh, biological fluids, they have different uh, biochemical composition. And uh, since Raman spectroscopy, 
uh, is well known to be the most uh, selective spectroscopic technique which probe total biochemical composition of samples we decided to use this approach uh, for differentiating uh, body fluid traces uh, for forensic purposes. So uh, my uh, first forensic uh, PhD student, uh, Kelly Virkla, uh, uh, she uh, published first paper in uh, 2009 on application of Raman spectroscopy uh, for uh, uh, universal uh, identification of body fluid traces and uh, uh, that paper uh, was cited uh, since then uh, uh, about 700 times and practically uh, initiated or uh, started new field of uh, uh, vibrational spectroscopy uh, for forensic application uh, specifically for identification of body fluid traces. Uh, my, uh, I believe that uh, at least two dozen uh, laboratories around the world now working in this uh, uh, growing field. And uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, this technology will soon come uh, uh, to uh, criminal uh, laboratories. Well, Igor, what surprised you most about uh, the capabilities of Raman and fluorescence in your research? Well, as I mentioned already, uh, Raman spectroscopy uh, has been known for a long time as the most selective spectroscopic technique. So uh, it is uh, natural uh, and logic to use the Raman spectroscopy for identification purposes. Uh, as concerns uh, uh, surprise, well, uh, let me just uh, give you uh, one example. Uh, after uh, we uh, developed uh, uh, identification tool uh, based on Raman spectroscopy for uh, body fluid for uh, main body fluids. We decided to look uh, deeper in uh, uh, this technology from the viewpoint what what other information we can get uh, using Raman's spectra of uh, uh, biological stains. And one of the first work which uh, we've done is uh, to differentiate uh, human and animal blood stains. And you may uh, imagine that uh, this would be very useful uh, for forensic applications, uh, specifically for uh, hit and uh, run cases, uh, when a uh, uh, driver practically uh, may claim that uh, he hit a deer. Uh, and this is uh, why he has a blood uh, spot, uh, a blood stain on the bump of uh, his or her car. And uh, uh, if uh, uh, police would have a, a simple tool which uh, they can use to differentiate human and animal blood uh, on a crime scene, then uh, this would be very helpful. So uh, we did this, we published the paper uh, Greg McLaughlin uh, worked on this uh, uh, on this project at that time, and uh, then Greg came to me and said, "Well, uh, we used twelve different animals, twelve different species, uh, uh, and differentiate them uh, relative to uh, human uh, blood stains. But I just uh, check it, and we can differentiate all species between each other." And that was, of course, the uh, first surprise uh, which we get in this study is that uh, Raman spectroscopy is so selective that we can differentiate all species between each other. And of course, it opens uh, new opportunities, for, for example, for uh, conservation uh, uh, field when you need to determine if uh, uh, blood actually uh, of some uh, uh, specific animals. Uh, well, that's very interesting. I want to remind our listeners that we've listed a number of references to your research papers so that they can uh, refer to those for more information. Uh, I would like to ask you, in forensic analysis, could you explain to our listeners what's meant by the terms presumptive tests uh, used to identify a sample as well as confirmatory tests? 
Yes, good question and very important uh, uh, part of uh, uh, forensic uh, uh, analytics. So presumptive test uh, is typically a simple uh, test which can be performed at a crime scene. And uh, it indicates that, uh, uh, for example, biological stain can be blood or can be semen or saliva. Okay. But it cannot uh, be 100% uh, proof that uh, this is the polyfluid which uh, is indicated because uh, uh, this simple test allows uh, uh, false positives. Okay. So, uh, but of course, it's important uh, uh, to have uh, more accurate uh, and what is called confirmatory tests, which uh, uh, typically do not have false positives. And the uh, majority of these confirmatory tests are uh, biochemical tests, and uh, uh, they need to be uh, uh, performed uh, in a lab environment, not uh, at a crime scene. In addition uh, uh, to uh, presumptive and confirmatory tests, uh, uh, let me uh, emphasize that majority of uh, tests, uh, current uh, biochemical tests, both presumptive and uh, confirmatory, they are not universal, meaning that uh, you need to use uh, a separate test for each uh, individual body fluid. And this, of course, is inconvenient, uh, it takes time, and it actually uh, uh, spends uh, uh, the sample. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, all these biochemical tests, uh, current biochemical tests, they are destructive, all right? So uh, there is a great need for universal uh, confirmatory test, which would be non-destructive and can be used for all main body fluids. And this is what we are developing. Raman spectroscopy is non-destructive uh, uh, process, right? And uh, uh, we already showed that we can use uh, Raman spectroscopy as confirmatory test for identification of all main body fluids. Wow, that's very exciting. Can you can spectroscopy also be used to identify a suspect or victim as well as exonerate an innocent individual? Or are other analytical techniques better suited for that type of analysis? Well, first of all, uh, uh, let me tell you that uh, uh, what you are asking is whether uh, our test is an individual type of uh, test whether it uh, provides individual type of evidence? And the answer is no. Only DNA uh, uh, profile and uh, fingerprints are two individual types of evidence in uh, uh, modern forensic science. Right? Yeah. Uh, however, uh, well, Raman spectroscopy and uh, uh, the method which we are developing uh, because it uh, provides also uh, information about phenotype, what we call it uh, phenotype profiling, meaning that uh, uh, our test can uh, identify race, sex, and age group. It can be used for uh, exoneration, right? If we show that, uh, uh, for example, uh, uh, blood stain came from uh, uh, Caucasian uh, and uh, it's uh, uh, male and uh, uh, of certain age group and uh, the suspect doesn't uh, fit this profile then of course uh, uh, our test uh, will help to exonerate it. But uh, Raman spectroscopy cannot uh, uh, be considered as individual uh, type of uh, uh, evidentiary uh, information. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Now, you published in the journal Analytical Chemistry a featured study in 2016 describing how Raman spectroscopy was applied with advanced statistical analysis 
to discriminate between Caucasian and African-American donors based on dried peripheral blood traces. What surprised you most about the results of this study? Well, uh, that was uh, one of uh, uh, two first uh, publications uh, uh, we did on phenotype profiling. And uh, to, be, to be honest, uh, uh, we were uh, happy to see a positive result of this study. And uh, Evelina Mystic Maravita uh, did this work. Uh, by the way, she is uh, now working for NMS uh, Labs, uh, which is a private uh, lab doing forensic and medical analysis. And uh, uh, before we start this project, uh, Evelina actually found uh, evidence in the literature uh, showing that biochemical composition of blood for Caucasian and American donors uh, are different. And the difference is uh, uh, statistically significant. Uh, and uh, this is important uh, uh, to uh, mention statistical significance because uh, uh, biological uh, uh, fluids, uh, human uh, uh, body fluids in particular, they vary with donors, right? So it's not uh, a pristine uh, chemical sample. So we need to take into account these uh, potential variations with donors. Nevertheless, uh, uh, literature showed that there is statistically significant difference between biochemical composition of uh, blood for Caucasian and African-American donors. And uh, we uh, were not surprised when Raman spectroscopy confirmed this and showed that we can differentiate uh, uh, these two classes of uh, donors. Wow, very interesting. Now, you've applied support vector machines discriminant analysis with an acronym SVMDA. You've used that for differentiation of the two races in your Raman study. Uh, what was the advantage of using the SVMDA over other classification methods? Very good question and a uh, very deep question, I would say. And let's start. Uh, let uh, let me start uh, from saying that uh, uh, statistical analysis plays uh, uh, more and more significant role in many various fields of science these days, uh, and in analytical uh, uh, chemistry in particular. Uh, Artificial intelligence is uh, uh, everywhere now, right? We hear about uh, artificial intelligence uh, all the time. And uh, uh, statistical analysis is especially important uh, uh, for analytical spectroscopy. Why? Because we all are using digital cameras now in analytical spectroscopy, in Raman spectroscopy in particular. This means that each spectrum we measure contains hundreds or even thousands data points. We measure several spectra. We have uh, several thousand uh, data points, which is uh, sufficient uh, uh, amount of uh, information for statistical analysis, right? And uh, in 2010, Viktor Shashilov, a uh, uh, very talented PhD student in my lab, uh, we together published a review article in uh, Chemical Reviews uh, indicating that uh, uh, the previous rule of uh, analytical chemistry, that if you don't see uh, changes in spectra with naked eye, then you are chasing uh, host, uh, is no longer uh, true. Uh, statistical analysis of uh, uh, spectroscopic data allows uh, to determine, uh, well, uh, to determine uh, specific uh, uh, samples or specific chemicals or differentiate classes with very high confidence level, even if we don't see changes in spectra with naked eye, right? Yeah. 
So uh, based on uh, uh, this uh, uh, development uh, uh, which uh, Victor did, uh, uh, we uh, decided uh, that we need to work, uh, uh, we need to use statistical analysis for forensic application. And uh, uh, in fact, uh, it is uh, important to use statistical analysis for forensic application because statistic allows us to report on error rate. And this is also very important uh, for uh, crime scene investigations uh, because uh, uh, forensic scientists, they need to report uh, their discoveries to court and they need to tell what is the confidence level, what is the uh, error rate, right? And uh, uh, for, for this reason, uh, for uh, this, uh, uh, for this project, the uh, development of new tools for forensic application statistical analysis uh, is very important. So after this <laughs> long introduction, let me move uh, closer to your <clears throat> uh, question. So typical approach uh, in statistical analysis is that uh, you get your data, spectroscopic data in particular, and you start using uh, various methods uh, uh, beginning from most uh, uh, simple methods, most robust. Uh, for example, we typically start uh, what we call exploratory data analysis using unsupervised statistical methods such as uh, principal component analysis. You don't need to know anything about your uh, samples, about your system, uh, when you use uh, principal component analysis. Uh, it's unsupervised statistical method. If PS, uh, PCA uh, works well, then that's it. Uh, that, uh, that's all you need. And you can report uh, and uh, <coughs> analyze your data using this simple approach. However, in many cases, uh, uh, PCA uh, doesn't uh, give you uh, s satisfactory uh, results and you need to move to more uh, complex uh, methods and uh, uh, most often you need to use supervised statistics. Uh, let me explain uh, what does it mean uh, unsupervised and supervised. When you use unsupervised statistics, as I said, you don't need to know anything about your samples and you just analyze and see if you can differentiate components, spectral components in particular, in your spectral data set. When you use a supervised statistical method, first you build a statistical model and you use so-called training data set, so it's just uh, a part of uh, uh, your data. And for each spectrum, you say in advance which class this spectrum belongs to. For example, if you are building a binary model to differentiate two classes, for each spectrum and training data set, you specifically indicate which class this uh, uh, spectrum belongs to. And then you use uh, uh, various statistical methods, uh, support vector machine discriminant analysis, one of uh, powerful methods of supervised statistics. And you build uh, a model uh, to differentiate two classes uh, the best uh, you can. A uh, very important uh, part of statistical analysis is to prove that uh, the model which you developed uh, doesn't overfeed your data. And uh, uh, the best way uh, to do this is uh, to perform so-called uh, external validation, uh, meaning that uh, you uh, use, uh, well, you uh, uh, leave part of your data uh, out when you uh, use uh, uh, when you uh, use the training data set and then you use those data which you left uh, out for uh, validation of the model which you built and if uh, external validation works then that's it it's a bulletproof that uh, there is no overfit and that uh, your statistical model works in addition 
you use external validation in order to determine uh, sensitivity and selectivity and uh, accuracy of uh, the model uh, which you built. Well, thank you for a detailed explanation. That should be uh, very useful for our listeners. And then you also published work in 2017 for identification of individual red blood cells by Raman microspectroscopy for forensic purposes. In this research, you work to establish the limitations of Raman and its detection limits. What did you conclude from this particular research? As you can imagine, uh, Jerry, uh, Detection limit uh, is very important uh, uh, for uh, forensic analysis, including trace evidence, because uh, uh, the amount of material uh, could be very small, which uh, can be found at the crime scene. So uh, determining uh, the detection limit for our method uh, was very important. And uh, from the very beginning, we thought, well, uh, why don't we use a simple, uh, well-established analytical uh, approach when we will just deposit smaller and smaller amount of uh, uh, body fluids uh, on uh, some substrate and see when we stop uh, uh, seeing uh, this uh, trace which we deposited. Well, we quickly, we quickly found that uh, even using the most sophisticated uh, method for deposition, and we actually collaborated with uh, uh, College of uh, uh, Nanoscale Science and Engineering in Albany uh, with uh, uh, Professor Nate Cady to deposit uh, the smallest amounts of material uh, we can, we found that uh, regardless how small amount we deposit, we always can uh, easily identify it with Raman spectroscopy. So practically it was not, uh, 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 well, this approach practically didn't allow us uh, to determine the detection limit. Raman spectroscopy can detect anything you can deposit, okay? But we uh, sort of were uh, lucky with uh, blood because when you spread uh, blood uh, very thin, under the microscope you can easily see uh, uh, 10 micron size uh, uh, red blood cells. And uh, uh, Claire Mura, uh, PhD student uh, at that time, and now she's a forensic scientist, uh, at New York State Police uh, uh, Forensic Investigation Center, uh, she decided to uh, measure Raman from individual red blood cell and then use this spectrum in uh, the statistical uh, model which uh, she developed and published uh, uh, for identification of body fluids. And uh, she uh, showed that uh, our model identified uh, this spectra as uh, coming from uh, uh, blood uh, uh, with very high confidence level. So this means that uh, Raman uh, spectroscopy can uh, identify blood even if uh, only a single uh, red blood cell uh, uh, is found. Uh, let me add here that, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, the main uh, purpose, the main uh, sort of uh, contribution of uh, body fluid traces uh, for forensic analysis is that they are main source of DNA. And as we discussed already, DNA is a very powerful individual type of evidence. So, in order to perform DNA analysis, uh, forensic scientist needs uh, about 100 picogram of, uh, uh, of uh, blood. If you calculate how much blood in average contains one red blood cell, it turns out that it's about uh, uh, 5,000 times smaller amount than needed for DNA analysis. This means that if there is enough blood on crime scene for, uh, uh, for performing DNA, 
Raman spectroscopy uh, can identify as this blood stain easily. My goodness. In your 2017 paper published in the Journal of Forensic Chemistry, you developed a method to predict the time a crime was committed. That's also known as the time since deposition or the TSD based on bloodstain aging estimation. Could you explain what you discovered in this work? Well, of course, uh, and again, uh, uh, you can imagine that uh, uh, determining uh, time since deposition uh, is very important uh, uh, for two uh, reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, forensic scientists can uh, uh, estimate the time of crime. And secondly, if uh, a crime scene contains uh, body fluid traces uh, uh, large uh, amount, let's say a crime scene is a, uh, a hotel room, right? Then uh, if you know when crime occurred, then you can select only relevant uh, biological stains relevant to the crime scene and ignore all other uh, potential uh, evidence which is not related to the crime. Well, uh, first, uh, uh, we did uh, in, uh, this investigation for uh, uh, blood stains aged up to uh, one week and we showed that uh, uh, we see changes in the Raman spectra, which are actually uh, evident even with uh, a naked eye. And it was very encouraging for us. And then Kyle Doty, uh, PhD student at that time, uh, uh, he actually extended uh, uh, our experiment up to two years. And this was a surprise for us that uh, even after a year, we still uh, see changes in the uh, Raman spectra of uh, uh, blood stains. It was amazing. Uh, and uh, Kyle uh, was able to build a regression model uh, based on Raman spectra of uh, uh, blood stain uh, up to two years. Uh, accuracy accuracy of this regression model was about 30%. And you may uh, say that, well, it's not a very high accuracy. However, uh, look at it this way. Uh, this regression model allowed us uh, to differentiate blood stains which were on a crime scene for a few hours or a few days or a few weeks or a few months or more than a year. This is uh, incredible, and uh, I'm sure you understand that this is invaluable information for uh, crime scene investigators. I need to uh, also add here that, uh, yes, uh, that uh, regression model worked well, but it was only for blood stains uh, which uh, were aged under uh, normal, uh, normal indoor conditions uh, in uh, in the room uh, without uh, direct uh, uh, sun, uh, sunlight uh, with uh, normal humidity and normal temperature. You may imagine that uh, blood aging uh, can be uh, quite different and we already uh, have uh, experimental evidence for this. Uh, if uh, you change humidity, you, you change temperature and uh, uh, we we expect that uh, uh, sun, uh, sunlight, uh, direct sunlight, may also uh, contribute to uh, aging uh, mechanism of uh, blood stain. But nevertheless, uh, I believe this is a very important proof of concept uh, that we can determine time since deposition. We just need to train uh, our method for different uh, environmental conditions. Well, predicting the time a crime was committed is, is a fascinating topic. And you also published an ACS Central Science featured paper describing the use of Raman spectroscopy of human blood from donors coupled with chemometrics to enable the differentiation between newborns 
adolescents, and adults. What surprised you most about the results of this study? Um, uh, I, uh, I would like to mention that uh, there was actually a surprise here, although, uh, again, uh, before we begin this uh, project, uh, we found in literature a significant uh, amount of uh, data that uh, biochemical composition of uh, blood uh, uh, does change with age specifically uh, for uh, these three uh, age groups which uh, 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 we decided to study newborns, adolescents and adults. Surprised came uh, uh, when uh, we found that the Raman spectra uh, measured from uh, blood of these three groups are so different that we even don't need uh, statistical analysis. You can differentiate uh, uh, the spectra with naked eye. Uh, we still built uh, a statistical model, uh, but it's mainly in order to, uh, uh, to uh, move uh, forward uh, to the practical application of uh, this method. Uh, and uh, make uh, a method automatic so uh, forensic scientists uh, doesn't need uh, to do all this uh, work uh, analyzing uh, individual Raman spectra they just can push the button and the machine will do it uh, automatically for them uh, but uh, nevertheless uh, it was surprising for us that the changes with uh, age in uh, blood-stained spectra is so dramatic. Well, that is fascinating. We want to remind our listeners that we've listed a number of papers, of your research papers, for those that are interested in, in digging deeper into each one of these topics. The DOI numbers are also listed, so it's quite easy to find them. And what was the advantage of applying support vector machines discriminant analysis models for this work? Is that what is the real advantage of this this type of chemometrics? Uh, Jerry, as I explained uh, it, uh, before, uh, we just go in uh, step by step from more uh, simple methods to uh, more sophisticated. And uh, support vector machine is actually one of uh, the most informative uh, and robust uh, uh, supervised uh, statistical methods and uh, uh, we just stopped at uh, this level for this specific uh, uh, project uh, because it worked very well uh, but uh, uh, we have plenty of uh, examples uh, in uh, uh, this uh, uh, studies of uh, body fluids, uh, for example, for phenotype profiling and for other purposes when uh, uh, SVMDA uh, was not enough and we needed to use more sophisticated methods, uh, including uh, artificial neural network, uh, random forest and others. Interesting. Well, in 2019, in a Journal of Raman Spectroscopy featured article, you described a new detection algorithm named Hypothetical Addition Multivariate Analysis with Numerical Differentiation, uh, also nicknamed Hammond, that separates and quantifies the essential spectral components of known targets in complex overlapping spectra. Would you briefly explain how this algorithm works? Absolutely. And let, let me start uh, uh, by indicating that uh, uh, this was a very important uh, step in uh, our method development because uh, we target uh, a method which can be used at a crime scene without even touching uh, the evidence, meaning that we wanted to do measurements on uh, blood stain and, of course, uh, this blood stain Blood, uh, I mean, uh, body fluid stains could be found on uh, uh, very many different uh, uh, substrates. And uh, uh, one uh, approach which we uh, used initially uh, for uh, identification of biological uh, 
stains on uh, different substrates is that uh, uh, we measured uh, Raman spectra from uh, blood stains and then uh, we also measured Raman spectra from uh, clean uh, substrate and then uh, make uh, a quantitative subtraction uh, to get uh, a pure spectra of uh, uh, body fluids. We uh, immediately found that uh, uh, many common substrates uh, uh, which uh, are heterogeneous in nature. For example, if you uh, use a carpet, uh, then you, you have uh, uh, fibers of uh, uh, different color and sometimes even uh, different material. So if you measure Raman spectra from different spots on a substrate, you have, uh, they are different. So it's very difficult uh, to actually make a quantitative subtraction of Raman spectra of substrate from uh, Raman spectra measured uh, from body fluid on uh, the substrate. In addition, uh, it is next to impossible to make uh, a library of uh, common substrate because uh, the variety of potential substrate which you can find that the crime scene is uh, unlimited, right? Uh, so uh, we were uh, thinking about uh, uh, a method which would ideally ignore substrate interference and uh, uh, identify body fluids on substrate without uh, actually the need to measure and uh, subtract uh, a contribution of uh, a substrate. And we were uh, thinking about it uh, for a long time, uh, and uh, uh, fortunately uh, we found uh, literature first, and uh, it turned out that uh, uh, our uh, my friend, uh, uh, Professor Hira Hamaguchi from uh, Japan, who I know uh, for many, many years, actually uh, started working in this direction, and uh, uh, he uh, founded a, a small uh, uh, software company and they developed uh, this Hamant uh, uh, algorithm which to some extent uh, uses approach which is well known for uh, uh, solution analytical chemistry where uh, you uh, practically uh, uh, how this called? Uh, uh, you uh, add, uh, you analyze uh, uh, small amount by small amount, right? And uh, you are measuring spectra, and uh, then uh, from uh, this spectra you uh, interpolate uh, and determine how much of this compound uh, was in the sample. So it's uh, 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 the method is called multiple uh, uh, multiple point titrations. Okay. So uh, uh, Professor Hamaguchi and uh, his coworkers uh, they use the similar approach, but instead of uh, uh, titrating sample, they were titrating. Uh, uh, spectra with known spectra of material of interest okay so practically uh, in uh, the paper which you mentioned what we've done uh, we measured uh, Raman spectra of uh, uh, semen on uh, uh, two highly interfer uh, highly interfering substrates uh, uh, blue polyester and uh, uh, and glass. Uh, blue polyester uh, is a heterogeneous uh, uh, substrate which uh, gives strong interference due to uh, various Raman spectra uh, which uh, can be obtained from different points on substrate and the blood, uh, sorry, uh, glass is a uh, uh, interfering uh, interfering uh, strongly with Raman spectra due to very strong fluorescence from glass. So uh, in both these cases, uh, we used uh, uh, Raman spectrum of uh, 
uh, semen measured at aluminum foil, which is non-interferent substrate uh, for Raman spectroscopy. And we practically use this uh, uh, spectrum in order to find it in, in uh, spectra measured uh, from semen, from semen uh, uh, on uh, those interference substrates. And as I said, uh, Hammond practically titrates uh, 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 experimental Raman spectra, uh, adding uh, uh, a little bit by little uh, uh, from uh, uh, library spectrum of semen. And uh, what we found is that uh, even if we don't see contribution of semen to Raman spectra measured uh, from interference substrate, Hammond still can determine uh, contribution from semen. Right? And uh, uh, as a uh, validation or control uh, experiment, uh, we uh, uh, applied uh, uh, applied this method for spectra measured from uh, uh, clean uh, substrates, blue uh, uh, polyester and uh, glass, and we didn't find any traces of semen. So this was uh, uh, a proof of concept study which uh, showed that uh, uh, statistical uh, analysis, uh, such as uh, uh, this Hamant uh, uh, approach, can actually be used for uh, detection and identification of uh, biological stains and uh, get confirmatory, uh, well, uh, make identification confirmatory based on known uh, Raman spectra of uh, well, in a general sense, um, has the Hammond algorithm advanced the use of Raman spectroscopy for the analysis of field forensic samples? Well, uh, we haven't progressed uh, to that uh, uh, to that stage yet. Uh, thank you for uh, mentioning uh, our uh, startup company, uh, Supermetric LLC. Uh, which uh, uh, we created several years ago, and now we have uh, uh, we are in phase one uh, NSF STTR uh, uh, project. Uh, uh, so uh, the goal of uh, 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 the goal of that company uh, is uh, to develop a working prototype. Uh, of uh, Raman uh, desktop instrument uh, for this application for uh, confirmatory identification of body fluid traces and of course uh, uh, impl implementing uh, uh, software which would allow uh, identification on uh, common substrate uh, is a part of uh, uh, this uh, project. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we are still in uh, the development stage but I hope that we will move forward to uh, validation of uh, our technology in real crime laboratories using uh, realistic uh, crime scene samples. And uh, if it's successful, then uh, it will be implemented into forensic practice. Excellent. In a 2020 forensic chemistry paper, you published the development of a universal Raman test for the forensic identification of all main body fluids, including urine, in field samples. What's unique about this method and how does this method really work? Well, uh, first of all, uh, uh, let me mention that this uh, uh, method is developed and works uh, uh, very well if we get a high quality Raman spectrum uh, from biological state, okay? And saying that uh, high quality uh, Raman spectrum, uh, I mean that uh, this method uh, work automatically if uh, uh, there is no substrate interference, all right? So practically, if uh, uh, biological stain uh, found that the crime scene is large enough so a forensic scientist can uh, 
take a small sample from the substrate, the small as a forensic scientist can handle. Okay, then uh, our method would allow uh, automatic uh, identification, and uh, if uh, we have this sample, and uh, practically I'm sure that uh, the quality of Raman spectrum will be uh, sufficient in order to do 100% uh, accuracy identification. Okay, you may say, uh, and uh, our uh, listeners may say that. Uh, well, there is no such thing as 100% accuracy in analytical chemistry, right? Well, uh, as I said, if we have uh, high-quality Raman spectrum, then we can identify it uh, with 100% accuracy. However, the final uh, evaluation of accuracy of our method will come when we will build working prototype uh, with uh, fully automatic analysis of Raman data and when we will determine or confirm the detection limit and involve substrate interference, then of course we will be able to determine the specificity, sensitivity and accuracy of the method which will be true accuracy. Uh, but at the, but, uh, uh, at the moment, uh, as I said, uh, for uh, high-quality spectrum measured from pure body fluids, uh, our automatic software can do 100% identification. Oh, that's very interesting. And um, in 2020, you reported in a vibrational spectroscopy journal paper that Raman spectroscopy was combined with advanced statistical analysis for semen identification, among other potential environmental interferences, or EIs. You reported using the random forest algorithm for differentiating between body fluids and EIs commonly found for semen traces. And what did you really learn in this study? Again, this was a very important uh, uh, stage in uh, method development uh, uh, targeting forensic uh, uh, practical applications. You can imagine uh, that uh, there are two types of uh, false uh, uh, results in uh, forensics, uh, false positives and false negatives. False negatives means that uh, uh, there is a, a trace of uh, biological fluid, but our method uh, was not able to uh, detect or identify, right? And uh, this is mainly uh, limited by the detection limit, and as we already discussed, the detection limit uh, uh, of our method is uh, uh, actually very, very good. False positives. What does it mean? This means that uh, uh, there is some sort of uh, chemical or uh, environmental uh, contaminants which gives spectrum which is identified by our software as a body fluid, right? And uh, how can you test or how you can train your system uh, uh, for false positives? Well, practically you need to do measurements uh, from all possible environmental interferences. But uh, it's an uh, uh, impossible job, right? Because there are uh, no limits uh, of uh, uh, chemical or biochemical uh, species uh, uh, which you potentially can, ca can find at a crime scene. So, uh, in our first uh, project uh, for uh, combating uh, false positives, we decided to look at uh, potential uh, environmental interferences uh, for blood stains. And uh, we decided to look at uh, two types of uh, potential environmental uh, uh, interferences. Uh, first, 
chemicals or biochemicals uh, which actually result in false positives in uh, current uh, uh, biochemical tests for blood right was uh, 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 well uh, uh, and second group is uh, uh, chemicals and uh, biochemicals which uh, make stains uh, which look like blood, right? For example, uh, uh, red, uh, uh, red uh, uh, paint or uh, tomato sauce or something like this. So we had about uh, 30, uh, I believe, different uh, types of uh, chemicals which uh, we uh, chose like this. And uh, uh, we measured Raman spectra and we applied uh, our software, which we uh, published in 2020, which we just discussed uh, a few minutes ago. And what we found that uh, uh, this software didn't identify even a single Raman spectrum of environmental interferences from the list we tested as blood. However, it identified some of them as other body fluids. Uh, I believe it was identified as uh, traces of uh, saliva, but I'm not 100% sure. But anyway, although we showed that there is no in, uh, false positive for blood, it's uh, still negative result for us, right? Because uh, uh, our software showed uh, uh, that it could be uh, some other body fluid. So uh, we looked at it, uh, and uh, this is this was the case when uh, support vector machine discriminant analysis was not good enough, right? So our uh, senior postdoctoral fellow at that time, uh, Lenka Halmakova, who is now uh, assistant professor at uh, uh, Texas Tech, uh, she was our uh, statistician and uh, well she is uh, uh, a very experienced statistician uh, she looked at it and uh, uh, she said that well uh, there is a statistical method uh, uh, which actually works with uh, uh, data sets with very broad variation between classes okay and this uh, statistical method was uh, random forest so uh, she developed a, a statistical method based on a random forest which uh, was uh, completely based on uh, Raman uh, signatures of uh, body fluids. No environmental interferences uh, spectra were involved in training data set for the development of this uh, model. We showed that uh, uh, this model, forensic uh, uh, random forest model, again identifies all main body fluids with 100% accuracy if Raman spectrum quality is sufficient. And when we apply this model to all uh, environmental uh, interferences uh, which uh, we uh, chose for blood, uh, no false positive were showed, neither for blood nor other body fluids. So it was uh, uh, very satisfactory for us. It showed that the uh, model works and we were very happy. However, it was uh, shown uh, uh, for uh, samples which we showed, uh, uh, which we chose as uh, uh, potential environmental interferences for blood. So the next uh, project was uh, uh, to work with other body fluids and uh, we chose the semen as a very important body fluid uh, for forensic, uh, especially from uh, uh, sexual assault cases. So uh, again, we uh, chose uh, a set of uh, environment, potential environmental interferences based on two criteria. Uh, first, uh, uh, false positives uh, for semen for uh, current uh, tests and uh, 
stains which look like uh, dry uh, semen. And uh, what was important is that we used the same uh, uh, random forest model which we developed for blood. And we showed that there are no false positives, neither for semen nor for other body fluids for all environmental interferences which we chose for semen. So this was uh, actually a great success uh, for us. Uh, and now uh, 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 Luis Pereira, uh, in, uh, Luis Pereira uh, who is a PhD student in lab now, uh, he's actually just finished uh, uh, looking at other body fluid potential interferences and uh, he showed that uh, our random forest model works uh, for all of them. So we are practically done with uh, uh, this uh, uh, stage of uh, method development and uh, results are excellent. Well, our podcast post has this specific paper listed for all those interested in more information. And so, Igor, what would you project to be the future of Raman spectroscopy and forensic analysis? Well, uh, you may say that uh, um, I'm not objective uh, in this opinion uh, because I'm a Raman spectroscopist, right? But I believe that uh, Raman spectroscopy has uh, a great potential uh, to become a universal forensic tool which uh, can be uh, uh, brought to the crime scene and uh, cell phone type Raman instruments uh, which are connected to the cloud are already uh, available commercially. So I imagine that forensic scientists can bring uh, this uh, cell phone type Raman uh, instrument to the crime scene and practically use it for any forensic evidence uh, you can imagine at the crime scene and uh, data will be uh, immediately sent uh, through the cloud to server, analyzed in real time, and forensic scientists will have uh, not only uh, information about what it is, but uh, also uh, error rate and confidence interval uh, for uh, the conclusion. So I believe that uh, Raman spectroscopy as the most selective spectroscopic technique has a great potential to become a universal forensic tool. And let me just mention one more thing here. Uh, Raman instrument actually is on Mars now. As you may know, it's a part of JPL, um, NASA, uh, Sherlock uh, program, uh, Sherlock project. Uh, we have tons of Raman uh, spectra sent to us from Mars as we speak, from Mars as we speak. Uh, and the Raman uh, uh, spectroscopy was chosen uh, because of wealth of information which uh, it uh, uh, provides. Yes, that is exciting. Well, Congratulations are in order because you are the 2022 Charles Mann Award recipient. And this award is presented to an individual who has demonstrated advancements in the field of applied Raman spectroscopy. Would you describe the topic for your invited award talk presentation this year at SciEx? Well, first, uh, thank you, uh, Jerry, for uh, mentioning this. Uh, I'm absolutely thrilled. Uh, chosen for this award. Uh, I mean, if you can look at the list of uh, awardees from previous years, they all are very accomplished uh, uh, Raman spectroscopists, and uh, I'm just thrilled uh, to be uh, among uh, those people. Uh, as for my uh, uh, plenary talk at SIAX, uh, 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 it will be uh, on uh, application of uh, Raman spectroscopy for forensic purposes and medical diagnostics. Uh, you might be surprised that uh, 
we practically use very similar approach which we developed for forensic purposes for medical diagnostics. And the idea is that uh, 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 if uh, uh, a patient has a specific disease, there are very specific uh, changes in uh, uh, bodily fluids, including uh, uh, blood, saliva. And the typical approach uh, for the development of new uh, uh, biomedical diagnostic tools is uh, medical uh, researchers uh, hypothesize or determine uh, uh, biochemical markers for the disease and then uh, they do a pilot clinical trial to uh, see if uh, identification and detection of these uh, biomarkers uh, is sufficient. Well, uh, uh, in our approach, uh, we don't need uh, to hypothesize about biomarkers. We get uh, from our medical uh, uh, doctors, collaborators, uh, um, body fluids from healthy controls and uh, patients with specific disease. Uh, for example, uh, we already patented uh, and published uh, uh, data on uh, early diagnostics of Alzheimer's disease based on uh, Raman spectroscopy of uh, uh, blood and saliva. And uh, uh, then uh, we just developed statistical model uh, to uh, identifies this class of uh, samples, this class of uh, uh, donors with specific disease. And we are ready to go for a pilot clinical trial to see how uh, specific and uh, uh, selective this uh, method. So this is what uh, I'm going to talk about uh, in uh, the plenary lecture. Well, excellent. We look forward to hearing that. Well, we thank you, Professor Lednev, for being with us today on this podcast. We appreciated learning about your work in forensic analysis using Raman spectroscopy. Your thoughts on this subject have been extremely interesting and informative. My thanks to all of our listeners and to the production and editing team that has worked to make this podcast possible. We invite our podcast audience to stay tuned to our next informative, analytically speaking episode. And remember what Albert Einstein once said, everything should be made as simple as possible but not simpler. Have a great day.